My name is Patrick McGinnis, and I'm the guy who invented the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out. Today, FOMO is an epidemic, and it's changing us so much that it sort of feels like we're evolving into a new species. But FOMO doesn't have to take over your life. You can find the power to choose what you actually want and the courage to miss out on the rest. I'll show you how right here on FOMO Sapiens. FOMO. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show about finding the power to choose what you actually want in business and life and the courage to miss out on everything else. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, the creator of the term FOMO, and I'm coming at you live from Advertising Week in New York City. A recent Bentley University study showed that 66% of millennials want to become entrepreneurs, yet less than 5% of all businesses are owned by somebody under the age of 30. Moreover, according to the Federal Reserve, the share of people under 30 who own a business has fallen by 65% since the 1980s. Pretty shocking statistics. There is a huge disconnect between all of the entrepreneurship hype that we see in the current environment and the actual numbers. There's lots of FOMO, but are people actually starting businesses? It doesn't seem like they are. But I am convinced that there is a way to bridge the gap between all this excitement and the actual number of people who are starting businesses. And that's what I call 10% entrepreneurship, or starting businesses part-time. And my guest today did exactly that. Marco De Leon and Rip Pruskin are the founders of RipVan, an food innovation company that's on a mission to improve people's lives by creating better foods. As part-time entrepreneurs, they founded RipVan out of their dorms at Brown University, and they have gone on to start and run a thriving business. Their first product, Rip Van Waffles is a better-for-you indulgent snack that is available in seven flavors and is carried in more than 12,000 Starbucks across the nation. It's pretty amazing. And their waffles aren't just tasty. They are cool and FOMO-inducing. They have been on HBO Silicon Valley, and they have even been written about in TechCrunch, which is pretty astounding. And if that's not enough, Rip and Marco were selected for Forbes 30 Under 30. So I actually have with me... um, an example of the product, and I'm, I'm going to bring you guys in because this is a pretty slick little box, actually. I've never seen this before. I've tried your waffles, but I mean, this is kind of like this is this is a serious waffle situation. Just for you, Patrick. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to show you guys have all these new flavors. So you started out with honey oats, chocolate. You just launched Snickerdoodle, Dutch caramel, and vanilla, vanilla and strawberry. Um, how's it going? Good. Actually, quick question. That 5% statistic yeah. of under 30, I bet that Who's number... Who's the host of the show? Just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I bet that number is actually lower. I bet it Four, is, right? too. It's actually pretty high compared to probably 10, 20 years ago. Well, it's one of these things where um, there's a lot of different numbers out there, but what I thought was crazy is if you watch TV or look at media, it seems like everybody under the age of 30 is running a startup, but in fact... Despite all this hype, you know the numbers aren't aren't aren't, aren't bearing that out, and so I think we got to figure out how to fix that. Uh, but before we talk about all of this and about Rip Van, I want to ask you the question I ask everybody at the start of the show, and I'm going to shoot this at you, Rip. What is giving you FOMO right now? So I think we're very fortunate to to be in this position with this company, and I think what keeps me up at night and uh, what really like makes me very worried is whether I'm spending enough time doing this. I just want to spend as much time doing this as possible because we have this unique opportunity to bring this product and bring our innovation to market. And I think competition 
you know, innovation, all these things are developing at such a fast clip that it's absolutely critical that we pour everything into this. So we're doing that, but, you know, we're just trying to do that more on a day-to-day. Okay, so your FOMO, that's like kind of a nerdy FOMO. I like it. It's like my FOMO is I'm not working hard enough. Wow. That is a true entrepreneur, if I ever heard one. Um, So take us back to the beginning, to Brown University, where most of your classmates, well, they probably had the munchies for one reason or another, but you decided to start a waffle company out of your dorm room. Okay, so what happened? How did this get going? Yeah, so um, we'll, you know, we can talk about this a little more later. We both realized you really want to start a company. But I think the, the idea behind Rip Van Waffles started with an insight. And there are actually two insights. The first insight was brought a ton of them freshman year for my friends from Holland. Back home, Stroop Waffles kind of like our version of the chocolate chip cookie. Okay. And um, everyone loved them. You know, they got devoured within the first couple of days, 120 of them just on my dorm floor. <laughs> but then um, after like reading a few Mintel reports, doing some analysis, we realized that 320 million of these were consumed by the Dutch. We only have 16 million people. That's 20 per person per year. And in the U.S., cookies alone are a $7 billion industry. So we're like, well, product's really tasty, arguably one of the tastiest products in the world. However, like most treats, it's very sugary. So if we can bring it to the U.S., we can make it healthier, we might be able to just, just maybe, small chance, we'd be able to create the next millennial Oreo or Snickers. And so that was the beginning. That was the start. You started making these in your dorm room. You some, somehow, Marco, how did you get involved? So I, I was, uh, so we were friends. Um, okay. And I wouldn't say we were like the closest friends, but we, were, we knew each other. And we had a good mutual friend um, who basically connected us and said, hey, you know, you guys should, should talk about, about the business. And we just happened to be like talking at a party that he hosted at his apartment. It was like, hey, I'm looking for a co-founder. And uh, I don't know how many people, I, I've never actually heard from how many people he's asked, asked that question to. 5,437. Yeah, maybe before that, and everyone was like, no way, this is crazy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. And, and so at the time, I was just coming back from studying abroad in, in Brazil, in Rio, and I was going to do investment banking um, after college, and I don't know, I had this, you know, this itch that I really wanted to start something as well. And so when he asked me, I was like looking for something and just kind You're of... like, I just don't want to do banking. I need an excuse. Yeah, I needed like something. And I was like, this sounds really cool. This sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't think we realized how hard it would be at, at that point, but it sounded exciting. And so I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. And we just started working together, you know, on the side, just like that. You mentioned, I mean, you didn't know how it was going to be. What gave you the kind of, I don't know, the confidence to turn down? I mean, I imagine many of your classmates went off to Wall Street or consulting or whatever. You went to start a food company with your classmate. What gave you the confidence to go and do that Yeah. from the get-go? So I think for me personally, like I, I looked at it from a, a business standpoint very early on, which was that... You know, he showed me some data when when he was just selling it, 
you know, in the uh, in the cafe on campus, and it was the number two selling product after Chobani yogurt. Uh, wow! And you know, that Chobani. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so it gave us that insight that you know, when people know the brand, when they've when they've tried the product, they really like it and they buy it a lot. Um, and I think that was really, for me, gave me a lot of confidence that like, okay. This is one location, and we're touching it every day. But, you know, if we could extend this out, like, this could be really big. And I imagine that back at Brown, you guys were like celebrities. Everybody loved your product. And you made a thought like, okay, this is going to be overnight success. You know, we're going to be huge in a year or two. And you have done really well. But it's not an overnight story. You've been at this for over five years. What has kept you grounded, what has kept you focused, what has kept you in the game when, you know, this is, this is exhausting, right? I mean, you mentioned you can't get, you want to do more and more all the time. How do you keep with it without burning out? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's tough and I'll, I'll let you jump in as well, but uh, it's a, it's a pretty relentless industry. So, you know, it never really, it never stops, right? Because everybody's waffling when they have to make, get it? See what I did? Sorry. I like that. I like that. Thank yeah. you. Never heard that before. And, uh, you know, so, so you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not easy, but I think we, we keep on going because we believe in what we're doing. And, you know, we had some, some advice, you know, early on from advisors. I think we've heard this multiple times from people, the cliche of it'll take twice as long and you'll get half as much as what you think. Yeah. And, and uh you know, we really just keep on plugging away because I think there's enough things that are working really well. You can withstand kind of the the failures along the way um, as well. But you know, it's a it's a long process, and this kind of industry is not the kind. There's some rare outliers that are you know, it's a couple of years, three years, and it's you know the blowout. Um, ours has been you know a steady a steady climb with some you know big bigger jumps more recently, and. Uh, that's just our journey, you know? So we're, I think we're still enjoying it, though. Yeah, what do you... One thing that yeah. Marco told me once, and I'm probably sure that you, you, you shared this perspective, is you don't think in terms of five years. Like, you guys have a long-term vision for this business, right? How do you maintain the short-term focus on execution with a long-term vision on building something to last? Yes, yeah, so I think I think going back to your question initially, I think there are two phases, right? So I think the first phase is... Can, can this business survive, right? You know, can, can we cover our overhead? You know, is there a growth path? Can we really scale the business? And do we have the confidence based on the actual numbers um, that it's possible, right? So I think that's the, the first piece. Um, so, you know, before you have that, it's kind of a leap of faith. Yeah. And so what, what I think kept us going you know, during that phase is man we 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 believe in this we have this gut feel that, that it'll work and it's not totally gut I mean there are 16 million people eating a ton of these and uh, Schiphol Airport which is airport of Amsterdam you know sells more of these than any other product and you have people from all over the world you know buying this product so clearly there's some international appeal and so it's it's basically having that kind of deep faith that this can grow. And I think what we learned along the way, there's certain things we had to change about the packaging, about the product. Um, but I think that's the very much phase one. I think once we got through that phase, 
it's it's really about what are we trying to do as a business? What are we trying to build? And I think the why behind what we're doing um, is a big driver. Yeah. Um, and and once we had that really clear, I think you know giving it our all in the day to day became a lot easier. So this is values. Yes. Right? I mean, it really comes down to like core values, which are for you. I mean, your website does a nice website. I like your website. Anybody who's listening to this or watching this, go to the website because I think it lays it out. But, you know, in, kind of in a summary version, what do you view as their core values? Yeah, company? so I think, again, um, not to sound too cliche, but there, again, there are two parts. Yeah, that's okay. So. We like structured thinkers here. <laughs> so the first part here is um, really the value behind the vision, which is I think both of us want to have an impact and what we do, and I think that's grown over time. So I think for us, you know, the mission of this business is to improve people's busy lives by inventing better convenient foods. And so, you know, we want to invent better convenient foods within the waffle space, but also outside of the waffle space and bring that to mouths all all around the country and beyond. So I think that's kind of the fundamental value driving the vision which drives the why. And I think on a day-to-day, there are also values that are very important to make the day-to-day more colorful, but also to you know, achieve a certain bar of excellence that's required in order to basically you know, be a market leader in this industry, because as Marco mentioned, it's incredibly competitive. Yeah. So I think we have a set of values that we've kind of created symbols for and fun names for, um, kind of personify them and make them more memorable, um, but also make them more tangible so that we can actually drop the value in a conversation. Like, did you, is it true that? (laughs) Or, you know, people not robots. Or, you know, come on, day one that, which comes from Bezos, you know, day one, every day, like the first day. So, yeah. Now, do you, um, you mentioned that it's competitive space and I think the first time I had a Stroop waffle was yours, and probably the first through 50th time. And I've never purchased a competitive product, and I won't, but I was handed one on a plane. And um, it was fine, it wasn't as good as yours, but it really surprised me that, that um, to see another product. And then I've noticed that they're, they are growing in popularity. Like there is secular growth in the waffle space, which I never thought I would say, put that, that string of words together. But how do you, as you think about these new players coming in? Is it around new flavors? Is it around brand? Is it around channels? Like, what is it that keeps you, you know, winning in that space and, and when you know, other people are coming in? So I think the answer lies with the consumer, right? So I think the, the company that can be the closest to the consumer and have a bit of imagination along the way is the one that's going to be more relevant. And that ultimately is what's going to have the most impact. So... I guess impact in this case aligns with winning. Um, yeah, I think for us, we're trying to reinvent our product every two years. So we've gone from 14 grams of sugar down to eight to nine, and it's going to go down even further. Wow. Um, so I, mean, I think we're, we're trailblazers you know, on, on that front and also just in terms of skew innovation. So I think as long as we can continue to deliver a value proposition that's healthier, tastier, and sexier, then um, I think we'll be relevant. Uh, nice combo. Okay. So <laughs> I never thought, I'm going to think about the sexy waffle for the rest of the day now. Um, Marco, as a food entrepreneur, you know, it's kind of interesting. So Brown University, 
has been like this laboratory of food entrepreneurs. Uh, Sir Kensington's, right? On code. Didn't it come out of there? Yeah. <laughs> There's some others I'm sure you can mention. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe when you're in Providence, you're sort of like, listen, I just got to find something to, to do because, you know, I'm in Providence. But whatever it is, this school has produced lots of food entrepreneurs. And there has been a wave of food entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, whether it's this new fast casual space, whether it's healthy, delicious brands, there's a lot happening. What is your advice to when people see your story or inspire? Like, what would you say to somebody who wants to be like you? Um, what's the secret? I, I mean, I think it's. I, w- I would say there's probably the simplistic way would be the the two parts that I would say would be just get started would be number one. I mean. Uh, it's a very it's an executional business, so that an idea doesn't really you know matter that much. It's really about the day to day execution over a, over a prolonged period of time to really build distribution relationships and that sort of thing. And then I think secondly is just don't quit because it just gets really hard. And so you have to know you know why are you doing this thing? Uh, otherwise, it's just like there's so much resistance because you're dealing with so much you know so many big players and really entrenched distribution. So you have to break through, you know, somehow. And, and so you really have to be relentless along the way to, uh, to do that. So I think those would be the two things I would say, just get started and don't quit. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's, uh, it's very much like an industry of survival where, you know, there's most of the companies that started around the same time, you know, are not there anymore. Right, so it's it can. Uh, there's not a really high survival rate in that in that sense in this space. So I think those would be the things that I would say. So as I think about FOMO-inducing moments in the history of Rip Van, there's two big ones that when I read about or saw or heard about them, like I'm not a I'm not a jealous person. I'm not. I like my friends do well. I'm proud and happy and supportive. But sometimes I'm like, damn, like oh man, like that's crazy. Man, I wonder if, you know, I'm just kind of a little, you know, not jealous, but I have a little FOMO. And the two moments were, number one, when you got this, the contract to sell at every Starbucks in North America, which is ridiculous, by the way. Uh, number two was when the Rip Van Waffle was on HBO's Silicon Valley. So I want to get kind of get, share with us the stories behind those two milestones, because those are company-changing moments, and I think the stories behind them oftentimes are totally not what people would think they are. So who wants to take um, Starbucks? Well, Starbucks actually started uh, like a couple of years before we we got in. Okay. So it's kind of an interesting interesting story. Um, I'll tell the first part, then I'll I'll pass it along to Rip. But I I heard that uh, Howard Schultz, who is the the, the founder of, of Starbucks, he had just come out with, with a book. This was my senior year of college. And he had just come out with, uh, you know, his, uh, I guess, just a book. I, I forget the name exactly, but he was doing a book tour, essentially. And so I was talking to Rip, and we said, hey, why don't we try to get him some Rip and Waffle samples? So Rip actually followed him around the country, Uh First to New York and then to uh, LA to get him a sample. So you just had like a calendar the for the book tour. Yeah, literally like looked at all the dates, look at where where he's going to be speaking, and okay. yeah. got on a plane one by one. 
Um, yeah. So that was like how it first first started. Um, at the time, like obviously we couldn't produce enough. We were still literally making them in downtown Providence. Um, so it was never going to work at that time. But that kind of got the conversations with them with them started. And um, yeah, and then you know. I assume you were giving him waffles at every stop, or were you just looking at him from across so just, the room? Actually, actually, just got to meet him once okay. at one of the book signings. Actually, all the other ones, he was in a hurry to actually get to the next one. Wow. Um, and uh, don't know what he did with the product, but didn't really hear from him, obviously. Um, but then afterwards, uh, a lot later, later, and you know, when you ask these questions, these pivotal moments. You know, oftentimes a lot of people don't realize like what's gone into, you know, making those those moments happen or come to fruition. And I think what we'd done is we'd we'd proven from a data standpoint that the product really had legs, um, and and there was a pent up demand for the product. And so I think once we uh, much later, two two three years later. Once we actually got to meet with the, the food team and basically tell our story, I think it really aligned with what they wanted to do at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so they gave us a test, and the test went well, and we launched in all stores in the U.S. and Canada, which is I, kind, of, kind of nuts. It, that, I remember hearing, I mean, that is mind-blowing, right? Because 12,000 stores, just like, how many, it's a lot of waffles. Yeah, it's probably a order of magnitude increase in the amount of stores we're in yeah literally within a month yeah and it's fun to go into a Starbucks with one of you guys and then buy the waffle and bring it up to the front I did this with Marco one day we went to the Starbucks in the West Village of Manhattan and we asked the woman about Rip and Waffles and she said yeah I love that product I like to heat them up which I don't know that was an insight I hadn't even thought of and she liked to eat them every day and she loved the product. And the fact, I mean, that, that's nice, right? That you're, it's kind of, you talked about values. Like when somebody who works at a shop that sells your product loves it and then came up with their own creative way to serve it to themselves every day, that's, you're aligning with something about that person, right? Yeah. It's pretty special. Okay, Silicon Valley, um, the other FOMO-inducing moment. Like, so what happened there? Actually, they just reached out to us. They're like, you're in every tech company in the Bay Area, you're part of the tech culture. We want you in our show. Would you mind sending us some samples? We're like, sure. Why? Why? We, why are we all these thought, tech companies? Well, wanting? we we thought actually at the time we also just thought that this was they wanted it for the the crew. So we had no idea. Did. Yeah. So we sent a bunch of product. Didn't hear anything for six months, and then I got a bunch of texts from friends saying they had just seen it on uh, on Silicon Valley. And it, it's interesting because you were at one point based in San Francisco, as I recall. Sure. You moved to Brooklyn. For three years. For three years. Yeah. Like, kind of, I mean, I, I, what was the, so let's think about this. You're, you're very hot in Silicon Valley. People in the tech world love you. That is a, an area with tremendous amount of money and wealth. And yet, not that Brooklyn doesn't have nice qualities too, but you decided to leave the West Coast and come to New York City. What drove that decision? So I think I think the story that's the rosy version. Yeah. But the, the the more dire version is that we're about to close shop with the business. Okay. Or like the business was hanging on a string. We didn't really know how to get the product distributed. 
get the price point right. You know, a lot of things we had to figure out. And um, we had one customer though, outside of the, the college world, that was ordering a shitload of Riffan waffles. And it was a biotech company in the Boston area. And so we called them up and we asked them, why are you buying so many Riffan waffles? Are you using it for your lab tests? I, I, you know, and um, <laughs> that's creepy. <laughs> yeah, but 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 basically, they said this is the perfect treat without the guilt in the mid afternoon for our employees. We give it as a little perk; they love it. Yeah. And so, my little brother was a student um, in Palo Alto, and I crashed on his couch, and we're like, "Well, if we can sell to more of these companies. We might just have a go-to-market strategy." And so, we basically, you know. Visited about 80 tech companies, got kicked out of most, but we finally got into Square, and it kind of took off from there. So we got into all these other tech companies, we got into distributors that supply these tech companies with snacks, and then we're at the point where we realized that it works not only in tech companies in the Bay Area, but it works in tech companies in New York. Sure. And we're at the point where it was really Marco and I still. Um, and so we had an opportunity to decide, okay, well, where do we want our headquarters to be? You know, do we want to be based in the Bay Area for the next decade plus? Or do we want to be based somewhere else? And I think, you know, we naturally gravitated to New York because our families are closer to that city and a lot of our friends from college are there. So it was a non-business decision. Well, that's great. I mean, yeah. that's, sometimes you just have to do, to make something sustainable, you have to choose an environment in which you can thrive, right? So... So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and San Francisco is not bad. No, we way. like San Francisco. San Francisco is great. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember I saw I saw your your waffles at the Twitter headquarters. That was like the first time I'd seen them in SF, and it was very exciting for me. But um, looking forward, okay, so you just launched a bunch of new flavors. I'm very excited to try these out. You did not take my advice. I had was just listeners, just so you know, I was trying to pitch Patrick's PB and J, and FOMO flavor, neither of it had, I write to these guys, like write social media, let's mount a campaign for a FOMO flavored uh, waffle, but as you think, I don't know if you can even tell us any of these things, what you're cooking up in your laboratory, but you know, where, where does this company go? You know, it's Rip Van, it's not Rip Van Waffles, you clearly are thinking bigger than the waffle space. Can you tell us, or is it still a secret? So I can, I can we can say this, it took Dyson over a decade to make the perfect vacuum cleaner. Yes. And it's taken us a while, taken us half a decade to perfect the waffle. And I think along the way, we've learned a lot of things. We've learned how to really challenge the assumptions within food technology to create things people don't think are possible within food. Yeah. Um, And so we're essentially applying that thinking process for products within the waffle space but outside of the waffle space for different eating occasions. So Rip Van Waffles you now have as a, 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 an afternoon treat, right, that you don't feel that guilty about. But we're also going after other eating occasions in the day, right? Okay. So you're going to see a slew of, of products coming out over the next couple of years. Um, I think that's, that's all we can say right now. I really think... You know, I really think you should think about Patrick's PBJ. I just wanna, I wanna just stress that. Um, okay, so this is the show about finding the power to choose what you actually want in business and life, and the courage to miss out on the rest. 
you guys have lots of potential things you could be doing. I'm sure lots of people call you every day, offering you a lot of different things, whether it's new clients, you know, you can't do it all. How do you sort of focus on doing the things that you need to be doing? Do you have an approach or is it just, you know, you kind of every day kind of figure it out? You want to take that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a struggle because there's, uh, there's a lot of inbound opportunities and so we have to say no to a lot of things. Um, but I think we've, we've kind of learned, we've had to like painfully learn over the years, you know, what we have the capacity to do and what we can't and that it's really valuable to focus. I think we've really like internalized that lesson that we've looked at people, you know, in our industry who'd been really successful you know, the time and time again, they would say, really focus, turn down, you know, more opportunities than you take. And I think we've really taken that to heart. And so that's really what we've, what we've done, I think, started to do a better job of. But, you know, early on, you still, you know, take on too much more than you can, than you can handle. But I think we've started to do a better job of that over the last, uh, last couple of years as well. And I think you can look at that in, in different ways, right? You can look at it in terms of your environment. So um, where do you go to work? Where do you live? What's the commute like? Yeah. Can you take a lot of these distractions out of the picture? Both Mark and I walk to work. We're fortunate that our, our office and where we live are super close. It's kind of peaceful where we live. Um, but then there's also what we focus on within the company, Right what we prioritize because classic like limited resources situation right focus on the highest ROI 80-20 and since that shifts as the company grows you have to kind of calibrate where that focus lies Yeah. so it's like being conscious of that stopping recalibrating and doing that on repeat as, as your environment changes yeah what I think my what I really like about your approach that is, I think, different than a lot of people, um, and why I think you're you're going to be around for a long time is nobody here is telling me grind it out, yeah, hustle super super hard, and you know let's you're telling you're saying let's build something, let's build a machine that works, let's build it sustainably, let's make sure that we take care of ourselves, we don't burn ourselves out, that we're in a place we want to be, and then let's build a company we love that we don't just want to sell to make you know a quick buck. But let's build something that we believe in that reflects our values, which is just, you know, that you don't, I don't think you hear that every day, by the way. And that is not necessarily um, what is glorified in the marketplace. So, um, so super interesting stuff. Uh, I'm a fan. But if uh, people maybe just heard about you on the show or, or if they want to learn about what you're doing or more about you, where should they go? Well, we're, we are in, in Starbucks, as you, as you mentioned. Uh, so, you know, every Starbucks in the U.S. and Canada, you can find us. And uh, also Amazon on Amazon. Prime. Wow. Get it in two days or within the hour, I guess, depending on where you are. So. And if, if you have snacks at your office, ask for Rip Van Waffles or reach out to us and we'll send you some samples for you to try. If you like them, we can get them to you as well through a distributor or, or direct, whatever, whatever they like. And tweet about them. When you, <laughs> I do this. T- when you go to a place that has them and you like them, tweet about it. Like, tell people, this is, you know, tell people what makes you happy, right? If you want to live in a world full of waffles, you got to tell people about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Marco De Leon, Rip Pruskin, thank you so much for being here. 
to wrap up, I want to move to the end of the show, the classic faux moment of the week. That's the moment of the week that either gave me FOMO, made me think about FOMO, or just generally talked about FOMO on the global stage. And this week's is epic. It's the first annual FOMO Festival. What is the FOMO Festival? Starting in January 2019, this is a music festival that you can travel to in various cities in Australia, but the secret is there is only one stage. So instead of trying to make it to like one stage to the other stage, the other, running around trying to catch everybody, there's just one stage. And I guess apparently the Australian debut of Nicki Minaj will be at FOMO Festival. I probably won't be there, but if you're in Australia or if you really love Nicki Minaj, go to FOMO Festival. Um, and apparently there's somebody called Lil Pump who's going to be there too. Do you guys know, does anybody know Lil Pump? Well, apparently Lil Pump's going to be there. Um, and with that, thank you so much for joining me today. For more information and to find me on social media, you can go to patrickmcginnis.com where you will find out about FOMO Sapiens, about my book, The 10% Entrepreneur, which is the number one cure for your entrepreneurship FOMO. And you can check out my social media. Uh, so um, make sure you check it out. Maybe eat a uh, Rip Van Waffle while you're doing it. And don't forget to join me next time on FOMO Sapiens.